morning. It's great to see everyone here today. If you're visiting with us, I'd like to send a warm welcome to you, as well as to our guests who are joining us on the internet. It's great to see everyone here today. If you are visiting with us or don't know, my name is Matt, and I'm not the trained minister. That's another good-looking bald guy. I'm really not even that good of a speaker. I'm just a regular guy, a member of this church, here to teach you something that I've learned. But before I do, if you've been with us for the last two weeks, you'll know that we've been in a series called Seaside Stories. And two weeks ago, Josh talked to us about Jesus parting the Red Sea and how God always knows exactly what we need and when we need it. Last week, Jeff talked to us about an unusual way that the temple tax was collected by using a coin found in a fish's mouth. And then today we're going to be visiting, or talking rather, about Peter walking on the Red Sea, which can be found in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. So if you brought a copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn to that chapter. I'll be reading, this is the NIV version, by the way. So beginning in verse 22, Jesus... Jesus immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And they climbed back in the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to study your word. And Lord, each lesson in your word has a purpose. And each one of those purposes is to help us become more like you. And Lord, I ask that you will open our eyes so that we can hear you speak. In your name we pray. Amen. December 2014, Logan Air Flight 6780 was coming into a landing at the Stromberg Airport in Scotland. And this is the actual plane that was involved in this story. The captain set the autopilot to 2,000 feet while he and the co-pilot completed their landing checklist. When all of a sudden they were struck by lightning, the captain immediately pulled back on the yoke to abort the landing, but the plane didn't respond. He asked his first officer to try her control on a column, but it didn't work either. Together, they desperately fought to get the plane to respond. After several moments of fighting, the plane put itself into a steep dive. When only a few seconds from crashing into the ocean, the plane started to respond, pulled out of the dive. They circled a few times and then eventually landed safely. The ensuing investigation actually found nothing wrong with the plane. They were actually fighting the autopilot. See, this is the only model of plane that didn't have an auto stick override. So you know when you're in your cruise, or you're in car and you set the cruise control, if you tap on the brake, the cruise will disengage? Well, the same is true in a plane. 
When the autopilot's on and the pilot presses on the control column, it's supposed to disengage the autopilot, except in this model of plane. It was designed not to do that. The pilots actually had to turn it off. So the plane, it wasn't not responding, it's just it was fighting them. So whenever they pull back on the yoke, the autopilot would push it forward to maintain 2,000 feet. Well, after a while struggling with the plane, they were able to manage to get, get it up to about 4,000 feet, but the flight computer put the plane into a dive to get back down to the assigned altitude. And it was when it was in that dive, the sensors detected at such a steep angle that the uh, flight computer thought the sensors had failed, and that's what turned off the autopilot, and that's what allowed the pilots to pull out of the dive and land. The lead investigator said something that I thought was very interesting. He said, that in an emergency, Sometimes the best thing you can do is sit on your hands and assess. Had the pilots done that, they would have seen the autopilot was still on, disengaged it, and we wouldn't be talking about them today. But sit on your hands and assess. That's great advice. But did you know that's also biblical advice? Psalms 46.10 tells us to be still and know that he is God. Why is it important to be still? Well, I'll get that in just a second. But let's follow the investigator's advice and take a minute to assess by looking at the first two verses. I'm sorry. Wrong slide. So again, uh, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now, I always thought that this was a scene-setting verse, and when I looked at that, I kind of just disregarded it. I thought it was more like, you know, an establishing shot, like in a sitcom. You know how they always show the outside of a building before getting to the action on the inside. And I thought this verse was just there to paint a picture. But I think there's more to it than that. Because any time Jesus does something, we should stop and take note. Jesus knew that the, the next story of him walking on the water would be in the Bible, and it would be studied for generations to come. So perhaps he wanted to be aligned with the Father. He's also, it's interesting to note, that he's at the height of his popularity. If you look at the preceding story, he just fed the 5,000, which the scriptures say that that's 5,000 men. So by the time you factor in women and children, it was close to 25,000 people. So whenever Jesus went, they, the crowds came to him because they wanted him to, you know, they want to hear him teach, they wanted for him to heal the sick and the lame and so forth. So he was at the height of his popularity, yet he still took time to pray. He also didn't let time with his friends or plan with his friends interrupt him as well. He sent them on ahead so that he could pray, and then he caught up with them later. You wonder what Jesus and God talked about during that time? wonder if we came up in their prayers. So why is it important to focus on God? So I'm going to stop here because some of you are looking at that. Why is there a car on the screen? And isn't it obvious? That's a Ford Focus. And the first point is it shifts our focus. Car guy's got to have fun, right? All right, Brian. So when life strikes us, when the lightning of life strikes us, you know, we have a tendency to run to Jesus. You know, Lord, I need you to cure this illness. Help me find a new job. Help me provide for X. You know, those are all really good prayers, and those are correct prayers, but those shouldn't be our first prayers. Our first prayers really shouldn't be a prayer at all, but rather a time just to be still and know that he is God. Another reason why it's important to be still is that God often speaks in the quiet. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the Lord appeared to Elijah, not in a wind, not in an earthquake or a fire, 
but in a gentle whisper. I mean, how many here are parents? I think most people are, right? Do you make it a habit to yell at your kids the first time you want them to do something? Or do you explain it in a calm voice and talk it through? Now, sometimes that doesn't always work. I get that. But the first time, you generally don't yell at your kids. You want them to learn, and you want to teach them, and you do so in a calming voice. God's the same way. He wants to teach us. He doesn't want to yell at us, but he needs us to listen. So how do we listen? Well, there's some obvious things, you know, reading the Bible daily. Josh often talks about a proverb a day. But, you know, many of the chapters in the Bible are divided into 25 or 30 chapters, and you can do that with many of them, not just Proverbs. You can also take advantage of the many uh, worship services and, and programs that the church has to offer. You don't have to be a super user. Just try out different things and see what works for you. But there's also some less obvious ways that we can listen as well. Like, I have found that most Sunday morning sermons, sermons and podcasts are, you know, 20, 30 minutes long. And that's about how long it takes for me to cut my grass. So rather than listening to music or, or nothing at all, I'll listen to a, a sermon. And that's what, how I spend my time cutting my grass. You can also read commentary, but be diverse in, how you, in, in your selections. Someone may be making a, an unrelated point, but interpret a scripture completely differently, which puts things into a new light. You can also join one of the new journey groups that was announced this week or another Bible study. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I know what some of you are probably thinking. You're thinking, Matt, I, I, I hear you, I get it, I agree with this list. But here this morning, August 1st, I'm trying to decide whether or not I should take this job or whether or not I should marry this person or whether I should move to another city. How's a Bible study going to help me? Well, every Bible study I've ever been a part of has always had time to share. And, you know, there might be somebody in that Bible study who's gone through a similar situation that you have that could offer some advice. Or how many times have you said, oh, man, if I could do that over, I would do X? Well, there might be somebody who's going to, a younger person coming to your Bible study who's about to do X, and you can give them advice as well. My point is simply this. No, the Bible's not going to directly tell you whether or not you should move to Indianapolis. So don't limit God to only speaking to you through the Bible. Take advantage of the other programs that he has as well. Because if you do, it's like reading his letters but ignoring his text. God's wisdom comes in many forms. Did I get this reference, by the way? I'm just curious. Really, Bishop, Bishop gets it. That's interesting. Uh, that's uh, G.I. Joe, if you don't know. And... My brother and I, we had a plan the way we worked our parents. Um, for any birthday or Christmas, he would collect the red lasers or the G.I. Joe toys, and then I would request the blue or the cobra toys. And that way then, you know, we, number one, we never fought over whose was who, but then we could combine our resources. So, you know, kids, kids are cunning, I guess, is the takeaway from that. But the takeaway from the slide, though, is that knowing is half the battle. You know, we aren't just commanded to be talking Christians, but walking Christians as well. Not just commanded to know, but commanded to go. Edmund Burke is attributed as saying that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Faith often requires a physical step. In June, uh, James 2.19, it says that even the demons believe. But what sets us apart is that we act according to that faith. Which leads me to one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible, which is found in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Let me start by saying what that does not mean. That does not mean that we can do anything we want because we believe in Jesus. Now let me defend that statement. So what if five minutes before Jesus showed up, Peter stood at the edge of the boat and said, I can do all things through Christ and stepped out. Do you think he would have sunk or do you think he would have stood? It's another example. What if we were to get up and line up and walk through the baptismal tank? How many of us would be able to walk on the water versus through the water? And I'm assuming everyone here believes that they can do all things. So what's the difference? How do we apply this verse? The difference is found in actually verse 29, and it's come. The difference was that Peter was commanded to act. So perhaps if we change the word strength to instruction, it will be clear. If I can do all things through Christ who gives me instruction. See, Philippians 4.13 is not a blank check, but rather a promise. It's a promise that when Jesus says come, or when he says go, or when he says stay here, or move over there, or marry her, or end things with him, whatever he commands you to do, that that verse is a promise that his power is transferable to complete that task. I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. Hey, I've thrown a lot of information at you, and I have been given feedback that sometimes my train of thoughts can ramble. So if you're taking notes, here should be the points that you've extracted so far. It's important for us to be still, because that's when God typically speaks. And that also puts us in a good position to hear him when he calls. And we know that when he calls, that we can do all things. So if this is true, then why don't we step out of the boat more often? I mean, yes, Peter sunk, but he was the only one who stepped out of the boat. So there's many reasons why we don't step out of the boat, but I'd like to focus on two this morning. First of all, sometimes it's hard to recognize Jesus. If you look with me at verse 25, it says, During the fourth watch of the night, and just stop right there, does anybody know what the fourth watch of the night is, about what time? It's about 3 to 4 a.m., sometime in the middle of the night. So about 3 to 4 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. You know, this part always made me smile. I mean, the disciples had just seen him doing marvelous tasks. I mean, he just fed the 5,000. Who else would it have been? I mean, it's more likely to have been just Jesus doing another miracle than it would be a ghost. But I, again, I just thought that was funny that, that they just immediately jumped to a ghost versus something that to me, seems obvious. But we can't blame the disciples too much. I mean, he showed up at 3 to 4 a.m. I mean, he knew he was going to terrify them. So why not pray for two more hours and show up at daybreak? But look how Peter handled it in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I think that's important because sometimes when we have doubt, and I'm talking about you know, serious doubt, like you know that God's calling you to do something, but you're not quite sure the direction you need to go, I think it's okay to ask God to make himself known. And I'm sure he will. No, I know he will make himself known to you. Has anybody ever been to Montreal? It's, it is one of the most European cities that you can find in North America if you haven't been there. I, I heard a program yesterday, and, and since it was on TV, you know it has to be true, that something like 60-70% of the people speak French. I, I believe it. Um, if, if you 
don't know French, you can get, a, get around pretty much okay, but if you like stop at like a local Tim Hortons, you, you just can't communicate. That's how, how French speaking they are. But anyway, I had to travel to Montreal for business a couple years ago, and I printed out the instructions to the hotel because I wasn't sure about mobile coverage, and then at the time, you know, smartphones really weren't what they were, and I wasn't also sure exactly the coverage. Now, if you're under 20, you're probably confused, but there was a time when we actually did print out directions to the places that we needed to go. But anyway, on my directions, I was looking for Francis Street. And so I was driving up and down the boulevard, and I could not find Francis Street to save my soul. I finally gave up, which as a guy, that's really admitting a lot. I stopped, and I couldn't just call the hotel. I had to call Verizon to get an international plan added to my phone before I could call the hotel. And so I did, and I got a hold of somebody, and we finally figured it out. And what I had learned was that I didn't even really think about it. My instructions were in English, but the signs were in French. So Francis Street was actually Francois. And so it was there, it was clearly marked, but because of the language barrier, I was missing it. Jesus can show up in unexpected and strange ways. And by focusing on him, you'll learn it's him when he calls you out of the boat. Another reason why many of us don't get out of the boat is that the boat's comfortable, the boat's safe. Look at verse 24. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So a couple years ago, BC, before COVID, I went out on a fishing charter with some friends out on, out on Lake Erie. And it was a tad windy that day. Um, a cold front had just gone through the, the previous day. And so I had a hoodie with me in case it was a little bit cold on the lake. But other than that, I was ready to go. Now, I had never been on a fishing charter before, so I was kind of trying to understand why the captain didn't want to go out on, on this charter. And come to find out, it wasn't the temperature that bothered him, it was the wind. See, it was a northeast wind, and if you look on the map, it goes right across the entire length of the lake. So by the time it got to us by Putin Bay, it was like six to eight foot waves. It wasn't so bad in the harbor, but when we got out of the lake, it was like boom, boom. You know, the kind when you hit the bottom of the lake, it just like shoots, um, you know, a jolt of energy up your spine. It was awful. I was so sick that day, I, I understand why people kiss solid ground. It, I, I, I understand, Captain. I, next time, I will not doubt your expertise. But anyway, the, the point is that it's natural to want to insulate ourselves from things that cause us pain. But we mustn't also insulate ourselves from work, because even Jesus came to earth to do work. And I want to say that again, because I think that's important. It's natural to want to insulate ourselves from things that cause us pain but we mustn't also insulate ourselves from work. Even Jesus came to earth to do work. Did you know that comfort can be an idol? An idol is anything that we choose over God, even our comfort. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered us. Like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday by the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I was watching a program recently about the Titanic, and I've always been interested in the Titanic history, even back in 85 when it was discovered by Dr. Ballard. But one thing I never really understood was why so many of the lifeboats left partially filled. 
Even when it became obvious that the ship was sinking, the lifeboats still were not filled. Now, there was a number of reasons why that is, but somebody in that program made a comment that I never really thought about before. See, I had always been looking to the disaster from a modern-day mindset and not from somebody from 1912. See, back in 1912, there was no radios or GPS or cell phones. You get that. But the only thing they did have was a Marconi radio, and that had a range of about 250 miles or so. Now, remember, you're, this is early April in the North Atlantic. There's not a lot out there to begin with, let alone having something, someone within 250 miles. So chances of anybody hearing that you're in distress is very low. So at 1 a.m. on April 15th, you really had two choices. You could stay on the Titanic, or you could get into a small boat, be set afloat in the middle of the North Atlantic, and by the way, because the, it's salt water, the water temperature that night was 28 degrees. It was below freezing. So set afloat in 28 degree water with limited food and, and, and water. So you might last maybe a week before you die of uh, exposure and deprivation. Of course, we know the ones that took the risk are the ones that were saved. The point being is that the right decision is, isn't always smooth sailing, pardon the pun. Satan will see to it. Look with me at verse 30. Did Jesus calm the water when Peter stood out? But he, Peter, saw the wind and was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, said, Lord, save me. So do you think that the waves crashed against him? I'm going to see if I can explain this. But do you think that as he was standing on the water, were the waves crashed against him, making his ankles wet? Or do you think he stayed on the surface of the water and went up and down? I don't know. Either way, the waves are still there. Serving is never easy, but it's always rewarding. So when was the last time you stepped out of the boat? For so many in this church, that's an easy answer, question to answer. You step out all the time. But for others, it may have been a while. Jeff last week made a comment that I really caused me to think. How can we trust God with our souls if we can't trust him with our wallets? And I think the same could be true with our schedules as well. You know, we like to claim we can do all things when we're going to start a small business, but can we do all things when we're going through our budget trying to find a, a support a worthy cause? Or going through our busy schedule to meet a need? For some, going isn't the problem, but rather being still. You're one of those super users that I told about earlier. And that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that. But be balanced. A good litmus test, and this is not a foolproof test, but a good litmus test is if you've ever said, they're not doing that right, that's usually an indication that you need to refocus on God. Because if they're really not doing it right, that'll become clear. But chances are they're just doing it differently. Or maybe for some of you, you've never stepped out of the boat at all, and you're ready to take that first step. If that's you, I ask you, you look me up at the end of the service, or one of the elders who will be standing in the back. Now, originally, this is where I was going to end my lesson, but I'd like to take it a step further, because I want to challenge my brothers and sisters a little bit more. But frankly, I need to hear this too. When was the last time you stepped out of the boat to share your faith with someone else? Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. We've been commanded to go and step out of the boat. And we know we can do all things through Christ when he commands us to do it. We all want to be uh, branches that bear fruit, so why don't we share our faith more often? Well, if you're like me, there's really two primary reasons why. One is 
even though I have a lot of unchristian or a lot of unsaved friends, I never seem to have much success. You know, I ask, but there's always a reason why they can't show up, or, or you know, they may challenge me on an idea or something like that. If that describes you, where's your focus? Are you looking around at your friends trying to find someone to share? Or are you asking God to highlight someone in your life whose heart's ready to hear? God showed up at 3 a.m. at Peter's boat. He may highlight somebody you never considered. The other major reason why is, uh, here is, including me as well, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, Jesus is not looking for someone with something to say. He's just looking for somebody who's willing to talk. And today with a personal story. When I was in preschool, I was so shy that I would not say here when the teacher took attendance. And I remember that she would yell at me, or not yell, but she'd say, Matt, you've got to speak up or I, I'm not going to know you're here. And I would shake my head, and I understood her, but I didn't say here the next day. Fast forward to high school, and I've shared this before. Fast forward to high school, and I was voted shyest in my high school class. Got my picture in the yearbook and everything. Those who know me today know that trend has continued. But yet I stand here this morning, not because I'm not nervous, not because I knew what I was going to say. Now, don't get me wrong, I prepared for this morning, but all of these pages were blank when I agreed to speak. I'm here because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he'll do the same for you.